0: Amen. So what we're going to look at, of course, is a passage you're all probably familiar with. It's the temptations of Christ. It's the, where Jesus is led in the wilderness and the devil tempts the, uh, Christ with uh, the three temptations. And we're going to look at it from Luke chapter 4. Uh, a lot of times we read through this and because it's so familiar to us, we, uh, we, uh, we miss the significance in, in more than one way. I'm going to show you that. Um, but what we're looking at right here, this is the fight of all fights. This is the Super Bowl. This is the championship bout. This is, this is where, uh, where the, the number one champion is facing the, the number one enemy and he is going into the wilderness. And this is, this is the fight of all fights. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more because everything right here is on the line. Death and hell, uh, are, are on the line. The souls of mankind are on the line. The lives Uh, of man are on the line we have uh, so many have failed before and uh, we have been uh, plunged into chaos we've been plunged into death we've been given over to the fall of creation and if jesus fails at any point at this at this moment or throughout his life, really, it's all over. There's no salvation, there's no anything, because he, is, he must be the perfect lamb. We're going to look at that as we uh, go through. I'm trying to talk fast, because I'm going to take a little extra time today, and so you're going to have to listen just a little faster. That's why we only uh, asked them only to sing three songs, because I think I might need a little more uh, time to explain this. So I hope you're with me. I'm pretty excited about getting to preach this this morning. Uh, we've left uh, we left off in chapter three where Jesus was baptized. You remember that Jesus was baptized uh, The father spoke from heaven. This is my son in whom i'm well pleased and the spirit descended on him like a dove We said that that was jesus being identified with us. He didn't have to be baptized He didn't have to repent of any sin john was baptizing for repentance and jesus came and he uh, and he uh, identified himself with us so he could stand in for us. He identified with, him, with with us, and then if you went home and you read the rest of Luke, you've, you noticed that I skipped over a big old section at the end of Luke chapter 3. It's a big genealogy of Jesus. And come on, be honest, you, you know y'all always skip the genealogy when y'all read. Everybody does it. Uh, but it's there for a reason, and it's important. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, uh, but what it does is it starts out, and it's almost like... Like Luke sticks it in there for no reason. I mean, he, he's, in the, uh, he's by the Jordan. He comes to be baptized by John the Baptist. He is identifying with mankind. He is uh, about to begin his ministry. And then all of a sudden, you know, he says that he, when he goes down the water, he comes up. He's, he's praying and the, the heavens open. The Father speaks, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then all of a sudden, there's this big cut. And this genealogy is it. Jesus began his ministry at about the age of 30 years old. Let me just read a verse or two of it for you. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, that's where it starts. It said, And Jesus himself began about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of Methot, which was the son of Levi. And it keeps going on and on and on and on and on, talking about the ancestors of Christ, all the way to verse 38, which is the last verse in the chapter chapter and he says which is the son of enos which is the son of seth which was the son of adam and it says adam was the son of god i hope that you are picking up whenever words are repeated i told you that before whenever things are repeated in sections of scripture it means they're important you better pay attention jesus has just been called the son this is my beloved son and now here we got this big long genealogy stuck in there as it appears for no reason don't worry i'm going to tell you why it's there in a little bit Uh, and it goes all the way back to adam who is the son of god who is the son of god that's what it says because he was of course created in a special away by God from the dust. And so what we see here is as we start in chapter four, Jesus is about to go off into his ministry. He's about to begin. But the first thing that we see is he's taken into the wilderness. And what I'm going to show you today, and I'm talking fast. I hope you're listening fast. What I'm going to show you today is two things. Number one, I'm going to show you how Jesus defeated temptation because I mean, let's face it, if he defeated temptation this way, that's an example for us. We need to know how he did it so we can model that behavior as we fight temptation. But there is a more important application to this text, and that's why he defeated temptation. This is not just to say, hey, you guys, come on, we got to be like Jesus. I mean, it is that, and we're going we're gonna to show that in just a moment. Uh, but this is not just an example for us to follow. Jesus is fighting for us. And so he defeated temptation in our stead because you and I, let's face it, we hadn't done so good. We haven't done so well in defeating temptation and being what the father would have us to be. And so I'm going to show you both of those two things. Let's begin as we go into verse one. It says of chapter four of Luke chapter four, it says, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days, he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, when those days were ended, he afterward hungered. And so what you see, of course, Jesus was baptized. It's almost like it's picking back up the story. We left Christ at the Jordan River where he was baptized. The father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then you got the genealogy there at the end of three that's breaking the text. And then the next thing you see is Jesus full of the Holy Ghost coming back from the Jordan. And it says he was led into the spirit by the wilderness. This is, he is, he is identifying with us in his baptism. And then he is brought immediately to step into the ring to do battle with Satan on our behalf. He's stepping into, he's stepping into the, the fight of all fights. I called it the Super Bowl earlier. This is, this is the battle that must be fought. And we're going to see why it's so important in just a minute as we, as we look at it. To say that Jesus was hungry probably is the understatement of the century. You and I don't know anything about how hungry, what it means really to be hungry. Let's be honest. I mean, some of y'all might be hungry right now, looking forward to lunch. You know, you know There's something about that Sunday afternoon meal that just, you know, it, it's like all diets go out the window on Sunday. I think that's in the Bible somewhere. Uh, but uh, there's something about that. You know, by, by the end of service, your stomach is growling and you're hungry. But Jesus was fasting. He was fasting for 40 days. He was fasting for 40 days and it says he was being tempted for those 40 days. We're only going to see three of those temptations. But the way that it's phrased, it almost seems like he was under continual attack. It says being 40 days, verse two, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he was hungry. He was hungered. Now, understand, there's something that goes on when you are at the brink of starvation. When you're, when you're hungry, you know, sometimes I've tried, I'm not the best, if you want a, a, a guy to teach you about the spiritual discipline of fasting, I'm probably not the best guy that's gonna be, uh, gonna be doing that. Uh, I've tried to fast w- w- for a day or two, and man, I get like sweats break out, and you know, just dizzy and sugar drops and all that kind of stuff goes on. It's just not good at all. But what happens when, when you get so hungry, When you get hungry, just the way that we get hungry, it's almost like all priorities change. You know, you know, things that when you're especially at the brink of starvation, you're things that were important beforehand are just not important. The only thing you're focused on is getting food. When you're out, if you're lost in the wilderness somewhere, if you're out in the mountains and you you don't have anything, you see these shows on TV where they drop them out there and they don't have anything and they've got to learn how to survive. The first thing that comes to your mind when you're hungry is you've got, to, you've got to find where that next meal is coming from. And so Jesus is to say he was hungered after 40 days is the understatement of the century. But when he was hungry, when he was no doubt tired, he was a man just like we are, all God and all oh, man, when that tiredness, hungry, when all those things came upon him, that's when Satan steps in and offers this temptation. I want to show you these three temptations really fast because I want to get to the real point of this text as we look at it before we have to go today. But he says, he says in verse 3, Jesus is hungry, and he said, uh, verse 3, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And this is how Jesus answered. Jesus answered him saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Now, look what it says. It says, the first thing he says is, if you are the son of God, look at the temptation. Now, what you need to know is the temptation is not Thou shalt not turn stones to bread. Okay, there's no, you can search from Genesis all the way to Revelation and you'll never find a command that says thou shalt not turn stones to bread. Or you'll never find a command that says thou shalt not eat when you're hungry. You'll never find a command to do that. But he's saying to him here, he's saying, look, you are the son of God. If you truly are the son of God, you don't have to be hungry. You can just do it yourself. You don't have to trust in the Father. You don't have to trust in Him because you're the Son of God. Isn't that what... He says, if you are the Son of God, that's exactly what the Father had just said. The Father from heaven had spoken when Jesus was baptized. And He says, this is my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. And here comes Satan and says, "Well, now if you are the Son of God. If you are God's special anointed. If you are the Messiah... You don't have to be hungry. Why are you walking around out here in the wilderness suffering? You're the son of God. You can just turn these these stones into bread and you can satisfy yourself. The temptation that he's facing here is to tempt him to step out from under the will of his father. To doubt the provision of God. To doubt that God has his interest in mind. To doubt that he will be provided for in time according to the father's will he says look you can do it yourself just do it you don't have to wait you don't have to trust you don't have to you know god is not for you he doesn't care about you we're gonna see that here in a minute we've seen that all through scripture it's you, you can't you can't let your physical needs go by the wayside trusting in God. God, the Father is not going to care for your physical needs. Don't we have that temptation all the time? Maybe it's not with hungry because we most of us really don't know what it means to be truly for real hungry, but we all think sometimes, you know, God is just not going to supply my physical needs. I can't live like this. I can't I can't obey God when it comes to my job or when it comes to my taxes or when it comes to the things that I have to do in relationship because he's not going to take care if I do this if I obey him it's going to end up bad for me I cannot follow his will because he won't be able to provide. I have to do what I have to do in order for my family to survive, in order for my life to continue. I cannot trust that he is going to do uh, everything that he said he was going to do in providing for my needs, in making a way for me, in making sure that I have, you know, food to eat, food on the table, shelter over my head, the physical needs that I have. You can't, you, you can't tell me that I must obey God when everything that, everything that is coming against me looks like if I do so, I'm going to lose it all. That's the temptation. He's not Jesus for the Satan to come and tempt Jesus with, you know, I don't know, sex, drugs and rock and roll would have been stupid for him to show up with a red suit and horns and a pointy tail would have been stupid. He tempted Jesus in the one thing that we are so often tempted with. The one thing that really defines sin. Step out from under the will of your father. Step out from under the provision of your father. It's the same temptation that we saw in the garden. God just don't want you to be happy. God knows that if you eat of this tree, oh, it'll be so wonderful. And he don't want you to experience that. He's not got your best interest in mind. Satan says, if you are the son of God, you don't have to be going through this. You don't deserve this. God is doing this to you. The father is doing this to you. You don't have to be hungry. You can fix it yourself. You can fix it yourself. Now look what Jesus says. Jesus says he swings his. Uh, he swings his spiritual sword. You know the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And he says in verse 4. He says and Jesus answered him saying. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word Of God, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, right there. If you want to go, if you want to write that, you can go and look at it later. And what he's saying, what he's saying in quoting, I'm gonna give you the context of the quote here in just a minute. But what he's saying to him is that spiritual communion with God, being in communion with God, being in fellowship with the father, walking under the provision of God, that channel of trust that you have between you and the living God is more important than all my physical needs. It's more important. This is what Jesus said. Now, most often we fail in this temptation, but Jesus said, look, I don't, we don't live by just eating my life, your life, our lives don't consist of just supplying our physical needs, making sure that we have enough stuff, making sure that we have shelter, making sure and make no mistake. Food is a need. It's not just a want. Most of the time, the food we eat is a want, but it is a need. You got to have it. I mean, you have got to have it or you're going to die. And he says, look, our life isn't consistent of just meeting our physical needs and just meeting the, the the desires of our heart. When we when we're hungry, we eat when we have, you know, when we're thirsty, we drink when we when we, we uh, you know, have whatever we need shelter. I forget all the needs that you have to you have to have to survive. It says the most important thing that you have to have for you to survive is fellowship with the one true God, communion with the one true God, to live on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now he's quoting Deuteronomy eight, where Israel was in the wilderness. Uh, well, Moses was speaking to Israel about when they were in the wilderness and they uh, they were hungry. And he gave, them, uh, he gave them provision, he gave them manna, and he gave them uh, birds to eat, and he, you know, all those things. And he says, Thou, you, you don't live by bread alone. This is to teach you, you don't live by bread alone. You live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Satan came with the temptation. And to be honest, if I'm honest and if you're honest, you would have fell for that temptation. You know, you don't deserve to be suffering. You don't deserve look at what you're going through. How hard is this on you? You can fix this yourself. You don't have to, you don't have to wait on God. You don't have to trust in the father. I mean, obviously he doesn't care because you're suffering. You don't deserve this. You can fix it. Most of us would fall for that temptation and have fall for it every single time. Jesus says, no, I'm going to I have been led into the wilderness by the Spirit. I am doing with the Father's will. Therefore, when the Father decides that I'm ready to eat or that He is going to provide for me, that's when it will happen. He said, I don't live by bread alone. That is not the subsistence of my life. That is not the most, uh, that is not the biggest necessity in my life. The biggest necessity is that I stay in communion with my Father. That was the first temptation. Second one is going to be. It's going to be, this is a pretty obvious one. Verse five, it says, And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is deliver, delivered unto me, and to, and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now this temptation of Christ is, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Idolatry. Worship me instead of worshiping God. And look what you'll have. I'll give you all of this stuff. He takes him to a high mountain. He shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. And he says, If you would just worship me... You can have all of that. Look, look at all that you could be. You could rule over the nations of the world. I'll give them to you. Now understand, you and I, we're going to fall for that pretty much every time, I imagine. Most of the time, what we'll say, if that's you, if that's me, what we'll say is, you know what, Jesus, why don't you just go ahead and do it? I mean, think of what you can do once you're ruler of all these kingdoms. Think of what you can think of how much good you could make come of this. I mean, you could rule these kingdoms. You could you could have the glory of these kingdoms and and you could make the world better. You can make all this go away. You could do so much good as ruler of all these kingdoms. You think about it. the ends really they justify the means. It's really not about how you get there. It's about when you get there. It's about reaching the goal. The goal is to make the world a better place. So we think uh, the goal is just to just to, you know, get rid of all of this stuff, all this sin, all of this evil, all this wickedness. And so really how you get there doesn't really matter. Just get there. If you'll just just do it in, a, in one moment of time, uh, swallow, swallow your swallow, your trust in God and just just worship him one time. Get control of all the kingdoms and then everything's going to be. Don't we think that way? Well, I know this is wrong, and I know it's not what I'm supposed to do, but once we get past this, everything's going to be fine. I'm going to be able to work for God if I do this. I tell you about the conversation I had a long time ago with a person that was about to do something he knew was against scripture, was against God. And I said, would Jesus want you to do this? And he emphatically said, no, he would not want me to do this. He says, but this is what is going to have to happen for my family to be able to survive. And once we get this done, once we get all this you know, once we get the result of what I'm about to do, then we'll be able to serve God the rest of our lives. Don't that sound good? We'll be, able to have, we'll be able to have so much to be able to give to the kingdom. We'll be able to have everything that we need. We'll be able to have everything that we can give to other people that have need. We'll have so much, but how we get there is sinful. He said, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you worship me. Now, what we know as believers and we have the scripture that in Psalm chapter two, verse eight, you can write that down. The father had already told the son, ask of me. And I will give you the nations of the world. I will give you the kingdoms of the world. And so the son had already been promised that you are going to be the king of kings. You once you once you uh, take on human flesh and you go and you accomplish the mission of the triune God. You're going to be exalted as God and man above all of the names, uh, above all of the names under heaven. You're going to be exalted to the right hand of the father and you're going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He had been promised the kingdoms already. What was Satan offering him that he didn't already have promised from the father? He was offering him the kingdoms of the world without having to go to the cross. He was saying, look, I can give this to you. You know what's coming. You know what's going to happen. They're going to persecute you. They're going to spit on you. They're going to blaspheme you. They're going to, they're going to beat you. They're going to hang you on a cross. They're going to do all these things. And you are going to, we, we already know, you're going to rise from the dead. You, you know what's about to happen in your life, Jesus. I can give you the kingdoms without having to go through all that. All you have to do is worship me. All you have to do is proclaim me your God, and I can give you everything that's already promised to you, but I can give it to you without the suffering. Now, whether he could really fulfill that or not doesn't really matter. That's what he was offering. And we we have that all the time, that temptation in our life. You don't deserve to go through this suffering. Whatever idols we have, that's really the, the base form of idolatry is to think that whatever it is, this idol... Can give me the peace that I'm looking for can give me the happiness that I'm looking for can give me the fulfillment of my life can give me something that I'm missing. Instead of going and looking for that peace, that joy, that life, that abundance in God, the father, where is where the only place we can be found, we find an idol. And we pour our life into that idol and we say, oh, it's going to give me joy. It's going to give me happiness. It's going to give me life. It's going to give me pleasure. It's going to give me everything that I desire. And make no mistake, you and I create idols out of everything. Anything can be an idol in your life. You want to find out what's an idol in your life? Look at what you hope for. Look at what your life needs. Look, what do you need to be happy in life? You got all kind of stuff. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's job. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's all kind of things. Whatever it is that worries you on a daily basis, whatever that is, is plaguing your life with stress, that's usually an idol. Whatever you spend your time and your money doing, whatever you sacrifice for, that's your God. I don't care what you say. You can tell me "Oh, I believe in Jesus all day long, where your time goes and where your money goes is your God. That is what, what you spend your life invested in is your God. It might be job. It might be fun. It might be family. It might be whatever, but understand that your God is what you sacrifice to is what you sacrifice your life for. That's your God. And we make them out of everything. I'm not talking just about you and this, and oh, I'm talking about all of us. Our hearts are idol factories. That's what they are, they are capable of making an idol out of the best things, the most wonderful things, like family. That, that's a great thing. We're commanded to take care of our families and to be part of our families, to be invested in our families. But we sure can make an idol out of them. We can place them where God is supposed to be. And that's the temptation here. Satan says, look, I'll give you everything that's been promised to you. Everything that you're waiting for, everything that you're hoping for, I'll give it to you. And guess what? You won't have to suffer. You won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to be beaten and tempted and all. You won't have to do all that. All you have to do is worship me and I'll give it to you. Most of us are going to fall for that temptation every time. Jesus, for the second time, swings the sword of the Spirit in this battle. And he says something, he quotes, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think it's verse 13. The the next two are 13 and and 16. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13. And he says something really profound. We're commanded not to worship any other God, but but God. It's simple, it's to the point. Get behind me Satan for it is written thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if the plan is for me to go through the cross or go through suffering or go through whatever. Trust in Christ, trust in God. Trust in the Father's will, the Father's plan is what I'm going to do and I'm going to wait for what he has promised me in his time, in his way. That was the temptation that he, that he, um, that he won there, that he, that he defeated. Two times he has swung the sword of the spirit. He's defeated temptation by the word of God twice. Now, the, now I call him the Satan. The Satan has, he is, Satan means adversary. So the adversary. He has, uh, he's wised up a little bit. He's seeing this battle isn't going very well. Jesus has defeated me twice. And so I need to change my tactic. I need to change my tactic. So this is what happens in verse nine. It says, and he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on on the pinnacle of a temple, of the temple, excuse me. And he said to him, if thou be the son of God, here we go again, cast thyself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt thy foot against the stone. The devil quoted scripture to Jesus. Psalm 91. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Thou shalt not tempt. It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And so Satan changed his tactic. Make no mistake. He knows the word. He knows the word of God. He knows How to sword fight if that's what we're going to say he is a master swordsman He knows how to bring the word to bear. Of course, he's going to do it out of context He's going to twist it. So it really doesn't mean what he's going to say. It really doesn't mean what it says It means this and he tempts jesus He brings him to the pinnacle of the temple and he says look you want to fight with the word of god I'm your man if you're the son of God, if you really are the one in whom the father is well, please, you just throw yourself off the temple. Why? Because Psalm 91 says the angels are going to catch you. God has promised to protect you. God promises that, you know, you, he's going to give, he's going to give his angels charge over you and your feet will never be dashed against the stones. So that's a promise of God. That's the word of God. Let's see if it's true. Throw yourself off the temple because God has made a promise to you he's quoting it out of context and let me show you why let me demonstrate it to you turn to psalm 91 just real quick or they're going to put it on the screen you can just look at the screen i want you to turn to psalm verse 90 chapter 91 verse 1 and 2 the devil quoted verse 11 he just jumped right into the middle of the psalm he didn't he conveniently forgot to quote everything that come before that and you know it you've heard it many a time psalm 91 verse 1 it says He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. And then the Psalm 91 goes on to talk about protection. And that's where it says a thousand is going to fall on my left and 10,000 on my right. But it's not going to harm me. And it talks about angels are going to lift you up as and, and protection. And, and, you know, many people have quoted Psalm 91 or, or had Psalm 91 framed when their children go off to war or, or or when things go on like that. But who is it written to? It's written to the one who makes God his refuge and the one who trusts in him. Jesus, if he's standing on the pinnacle of the temple and he says, you know what? I'm going to throw myself off the temple just to see if God's promises are true. Is that trust? Is that making God your refuge? No, that's testing to see if God is really God. That's testing to see if God is going to do what he said he's going to do. That is the opposite of trusting in God. So for Jesus to throw himself off the temple and say, you know what? That's right. God made me a promise. Let's see if he's going to keep it. That is to test God. That is to tempt God to see if he is really going to keep his promise. The man standing on the pinnacle of the temple, trusting in God, trusting that his provision is true, secure in the protection that God has provided... I don't have to throw myself off the temple because I know that God is going to protect me. It's like when you came in here today, you sat down in that chair. I guarantee you, 100% of you didn't check the legs, didn't check the screws, didn't check anything. That chair could have fell down out from under you. You trusted in it. You just threw all your weight down into it and you just knew for a fact it was going to hold you up. I could have come in here this morning and I could have loosened all them screws and you could have busted that floor wide open when you sat down. But you trust it. Now, if you came in here, understanding, if you came in here and you looked at the chair and you got up under there and checked all the screws, what would that demonstrate? You don't really trust whether the chair's going to hold you. You want to check it out first. I remember taking the kids to Zipline in Memphis at Shelby Farms. And the first thing, I've told you all this before, the first thing I saw when I walked into the, the little trailer, they had a little trailer there where you go and register and get your stuff and all that. And then you go out into the woods where these zip lines were was these two guys, you know, they was, I mean, I'm not going to tell you what I was thinking, but they was all red-eyed and slurry speech and all that kind of stuff going on, talking about we've been tightening them bolts all morning on them lines that I'm going to be zipping on. I'm like, I don't know if, I need to check some of them bolts. I don't know if I trust you guys to be tightening the bolts on the cables that I'm going to be hanging from trees 40 foot up in the air with. I'm not sure that I trust that. And so you go and you check that stuff. You want to check to see if it's right. You want to test to see if it's really as strong as it says it is. You want to check to see if it's going to hold you. And that's what trust is. That's what, that is who Psalm 91 is written to. It's written to the one who trusts in God. The one who makes his refuge in God. So if Jesus would have jumped off the temple thinking that God is going to protect him, that wouldn't have been trust in God. That would have been testing to see if God is really God. And so Jesus doesn't fall for this. He once again, for the third time, swings the sword of the spirit. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 16. He says, he says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, I hope you see the pattern. I'm going to switch just for a minute and show you. We've seen how he has defeated temptation. I hope you saw the pattern. Did you see the pattern? Jesus defeated temptation with the word of God Amen. over, over and over again, not only with the word of God, but if you notice all three of those passages he quoted were for Deut- from Deuteronomy. I mean, if I would, if I were to say to you, Hey, Satan's coming this afternoon and he's going to be tempting you. You better get into your word. You better know what you better know what you need to do is Deuteronomy. The first book that you would probably go to Jesus quotes the word of God and he gives the word of God. It's the weapon, the sword of the Spirit. The only offensive weapon in the armor of God that you have. You got a helmet, you've got the helmet of salvation, you got the shield of, of faith, you've got the breastplate of righteousness, the, the greaves of the gospel, the belt of truth. The only weapon you have that's an offensive weapon to do damage with is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So many times, people. Are going through all kind of deal they they're suffering they're going through trials, going through temptations of uh, uh by Satan and the flesh and the world, and they're struggling with this sin struggling with that sin and they can't they can't figure out how to how to make it work they can't figure out why they don't have any joy and it all boils down to a lack of feasting on the word of God. Don't have any love for the word of God. Don't have any desire to get into the word of God. Don't have any desire. I'm not talking about coming on Sunday and listen to me rattle on. I'm talking about getting into the word of God at your house, in your hands, the, the word of God, the Bible, as it is, as it probably sitting on your shelf or hopefully you brought it with you today. But we have no love. People have no love for the word. And when we do come, when, you, when people do come, you'll see it today, you'll see it in Sunday school, you'll see it 10 1030 service. When we do come, we usually try to learn the Word of God like we used to do in school. You remember how you learn stuff in school? Really, you just try to stick it all in there so you could pass the test and then flush it the day after the test. It really doesn't matter. I'm just trying to memorize everything so I can give the right answer when it's time to give the right answer. But it really doesn't matter. I'm not even going to need it. Not going to use it. Not going to, don't have to, don't have to internalize it. All I have to do is regurgitate it. All I have to do is give it back to the teacher when the test comes. That's how we study the word of God. That's how we dig our lives into the word of God. Though what what we should be doing, if I've never been skydiving and I hate planes, but if you were up in the air, 20,000 feet, about to jump out of an airplane and had no idea how to skydive. And of course, the motor's running and everything's loud. You see, the, I see them guys on TV when they're about to jump out. Uh, and they're hollering because everything's so loud. Winds run, the door's wide open. You can look down and see the earth down below you. And you don't know anything about skydiving. You don't know anything about anything. You hadn't taken any class. You hadn't, you're not doing that tandem thing. You're on your own. And the instructor comes up and he says, okay. I'm going to tell you the 10 things you got to know to stay alive. Are you going to be like, man, we got groceries at the house. What am I going to do for supper? No, you are going to be, you're going to be folk. what, whoa, 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 what? Say that again. I can't hear you. Will- Your life depends on it. Your life depends on whether you understand what this guy is about to tell you. Because in two minutes, you're going to be plummeting to the earth at who knows how fast. And if you don't know what to do. You are dead. Your life depends on it. That is how we must view the word of God. Your life that when you step out those doors, you're walking into the fight. More than likely, you're going to be in the fight before you step out those doors. That is where the battle is going to take place. And if you're not, if you don't understand that you're going into battle, the battle is going to take you and you'll be a guaranteed casualty. You'll be dead. You have to have, you have to have the only weapon that's given to you in the armor of God. That's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. That is the only way that you and I are going to be even able to fight against temptation. You may walk around saying, well, I got it going on. I don't fall for that. I don't fall for this. The only weapon given to you to fight temptation is the word of God. David said, I hide the word of God in my heart. Why? So I will not sin against you. That's the weapon that you have. Now, how are you doing when it comes to fighting temptation? When it comes to wielding the sword of the spirit, how are you doing? For most of us, with those temptations already laid out, if I ended right here, that'd be pretty depressing. It'd be pretty depressing to say, go out and fight. You better be ready. The devil's coming for you. Temptation's coming for you. You better better get after it. I hope you're strong enough. I hope you're smart enough. I hope you know the word of God enough. But what we fail to see so often is really the real point of why this text is here. It's not how Jesus defeated temptation. Of course, we learn how to fight By watching our master, our savior, by by watching our king. He is the, the champion of all champions. We learn how to fight. But the real point that the text is trying to show us is why Jesus fought. He stepped into the ring fighting the oldest battle known to man, the greatest battle ever fought for you. Not just to show you how to fight. But to fight for you. He is the champion that's stepping into the ring with the enemy to fight on your behalf. He is David stepping out to fight against Goliath on behalf of the army that's standing behind David, shaking in their boots. He is our champion. The one who stands in the battle, able to swing the sword of victory over Satan and destroy the works of the devil. He, if you notice, he was baptized in, in chapter three, identifying himself with man, the sinners that he came to save, and then God, the father came, spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then you have a big, long genealogy that we skipped, that ends up saying, Adam, son of God, Jesus began his ministry, the son of whoever, the son of whoever, the son of whoever, all the way to Adam, the son of God. And then you have Jesus stepping into the ring with Satan. I hope you see the parallel. I hope you see why that genealogy is there. Adam represented us. Do you realize that? He stepped into the, the fight with Satan. The serpent came in the garden and basically said the same thing. You can't trust God. You can't trust what the Father said. He's keeping the tree from you. You go on and take the tree. I mean, God don't want you to be happy. He, he don't want you to be like God. He, wa- he wants to keep all this. Adam represented us. And he stepped into the same fight. He stepped into the same ring and he got destroyed. And because he got destroyed by the enemy, all of creation plunged into sin. All of creation plunged into death and hell and sorrow and sadness and sin. It ruined everything. And even Israel in the wilderness, you're supposed to see a parallel here. Israel spent 40 years being tested in the wilderness. As Jesus spent 40 days being tested in the wilderness. And guess what? Israel failed miserably. If you see these three temptations of Christ, they mirror the temptations of Israel. When Israel was hungry, they sinned against God. And God gave them manna. God gave them meat, birds. and God gave them the provision they need. But they sinned against God. When Israel was tempted with idolatry, like Jesus was tempted here, what did they do? They built a golden calf and they started worshiping that. And it's so amazing to me. Go back and read it. When they were at Mount Sinai, they actually said, we're worshiping this golden calf who has brought us out of Egypt. Can you imagine? The calf brought them out of Egypt. The same temptation here. I'll give you the nations. I'll give you what you've been promised. Just worship me. Israel failed. The third temptation where they they needed water. And Moses struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock. They failed in their temptation. They failed in trusting God. And it specifically said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, the verse Jesus quotes right here. He says, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God as you did at the waters of Meribah, which is where all that took place. These three temptations are the same three temptations that Israel failed at in the wilderness. They're the same temptations that Adam failed at in the garden. So what you see here is that over and over again, Satan has the same tactic, the same same line of, uh, of stuff to bring, the same temptations to give to man, and over and over again, man keeps falling for it. Adam fell for it and and represented us and everything went to pot. Israel was supposed to be the chosen nation, the one who was going to bring light to the Gentiles and light to the world. And they failed at every point. But here, our champion, God and man steps into the ring to fight the fight of all fights, the battle of all battles, the Super Bowl of war against temptation, and he wins on our behalf. So today, when I go out, You're going to face temptation. You're going to have to fight temptation with the word. But we don't fight. We don't fight with a hope looking forward to victory. We fight from victory because our champion has already won. He's already won the battle for us. And that made him, that proved that he was righteous, holy, perfect, and able to pay for our sin. At any moment, at any point during this time, if Jesus would have failed like Adam failed. Like Israel failed. Like all the people that faced temptation in the Old Testament failed. At any point, if he would have failed, it's all over. There's no hope. There's no salvation. There's no heaven. There's no anything for you. But he didn't fail. He did what everyone else couldn't do. He did what Adam should have done. He did what Israel should have done. And he did what you should have done. What I should have done. And he did it not just to show you how... That is an application and we should take that from it. But he did it for us. He stood in our place. He is our champion. Are you fighting from victory today? I mean, you go out and we talk about our temptations. We talk about what we need to do and how we need to live and what we we need to accomplish. But the gospel is the center of our lives. And if that gospel is not central, you'll never win. You'll never fight. We fight Satan, we fight the world, we fight the flesh because Jesus has already won the battle. Today, if you don't know Christ, you have no victory over temptation. You will never succeed. Even if you live a good moral life from now, from now on, even if you walk out those doors and say, you know what, I'm going to be fighting temptation from now on, even if you do better than any of us in this room do, if the champion doesn't fight for you, you have no salvation, you have no victory. I don't care how you reform your life. He says today, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You won't, have to, you won't have to strive in order to have victory over temptation and please the Father. You'll strive to have victory over temptation because Jesus has pleased the Father in your behalf. You and I must have the salvation that Christ provides. Call upon him today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for you.